Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's program, Silver Ferns coach Waitamanu reflects on a month of milestones. Grant Dalton spills the beans on Team New Zealand's love affair with Luna Rossa. The double Olympic medalist Bevan Doherty bades farewell to triathlon. And the Wellington Phoenix are the only unbeaten side after the opening three rounds of the A-League. We catch up with skipper Andrew Durante. October's been a month of milestones for the Silver Ferns netball coach Waitamanu. It's a year since she took over the role from Ruth Aitken. She celebrated her 50th birthday, and she's had to watch Australia compile their highest ever score against the Silver Ferns, a difficult task for the former New Zealand captain and defender. There's been success in the past year, though. Most recently, the Constellation Cup Series win over Australia, the first time the Silver Ferns have won that trophy. I spoke to Waitamanu and asked her how she'd found the first year in the job. I have very much enjoyed it and probably more than I expected in that sense. Um, I've really enjoyed working with this group. Um, they have, because I started with them when some of them were younger, I've seen them grow up and I think um, I feel very privileged to be witnessing a, a pretty mature responsible, um, focused group of netballers, which it's not always, depending on the age and stage of, of any representative team, that's not always the case, but these guys are it's quite a mature and very enjoyable experience working with them. Um, so in that sense, uh, in the sense of um, where we're going, uh, you know, up until Sunday, I was really pleased, I thought we were making progress, but to be fair, I you always have to test yourself and I always knew the quad series was going to be the test of whether or not we could roll on and just keep going and keep doing the business and um, clearly that's still a, a work on for us. How many times have you watched that, that game? No, uh, now, uh, four and a half. And do you, have you come up with any magic answer? No, I don't think there are magic answers. I think we had... Uh, early on, a couple of misjudged, or just errors in communication and misjudgments. We lost confidence and then we lost a bit of um, flow in terms of we'd look and think, no, that's not on, I, you know, I made that error last time and so we'd turn and so that timing goes. So it was kind of cumulative as the game wore on. I thought, although we were out by a huge amount by the end of the first quarter, I did think we came back in the second and third. So I was thinking, OK, well, at least we can we can pull this together. Disappointed with the defensive effort. Um, in the sense that, and to be, give Catherine Cox and Susan Prattley their due, I thought they played very well, but we didn't get the kind of turnover ball that we would normally expect. Um, so for those two reasons, at the end of the third quarter, although the, lot, the, the, um, the, the margin had not been regained, I thought that we had settled back into a little bit of composure, but I was really disappointed that we'd seem to lose it again in the fourth. Is it about rebuilding confidence? How much of a knock has that result been? No, because I, I think it's about rebuilding um, communication. So in terms of confidence, I think that's still that's still fine. 
Um, but I think people are a little bit unsure about the changing lineups, and we've had to do that to keep people fresh. So there's just no answer to that. Also, everybody else has done the same thing, so we're in the same boat. Um, so we just have to cope better with that, and we just have to spend the time at practice really wisely and just building that confidence. And when I say confidence, it's just communication and understanding where people are going to be and what space they need the ball in. So that's what we're using at the moment. Has there been a sense that the team is getting over it? I mean, have you felt that at, at training? Probably it'll always be a, a, a talking point for those of us who were there. Um, that's a big margin. So I think we've left it behind in terms of we're moving forward, but um, certainly the feeling of how that felt and, and how we managed to do that to ourselves um, will linger and something that we have to use as motivation for the next time we play them. Unforced errors were obviously a, a big part of that, mm-hmm. but that always seems to be an ongoing problem. It does. And it does. while it's something you might say that you're able to fix because it's in your own court, so to speak. Mm. We haven't today. I agree, um, and that was we again looking at it today. First quarter, it happened again, and it took us sort of the second, third, and fourth. So we really have to pay attention to that. But having said that, in the Constellation Cup, at times it was the first quarter that we were good, and they blew out. So we've we're just finding that balance. There's no doubt that we can do it, but we have to do it consistently for 60 minutes. And again, that sounds like something I bang on about all the time too. So, so what do you do as a, as a coach? Is there anything in particular that you work on to try and? Um, well, a variety of things. So we've got um, a lot of a lot of analysis, a lot of one-on-one work, and with specific people, a lot of skill work. So pointing out what's happening on court, then working on the skill stuff, and then working it into unit stuff, so that working together on those skills um, and just getting those right. But it is time in the saddle. Um, we have had some changes in that mid-court, and it's relatively inexperienced at times. Um, and that's where we just have to keep going. You pulled Catherine Marshu off after that, that first quarter. Is there a danger that she's too one-dimensional international? Well, it was the reason she got taken off. I felt it was a one-dimensional performance for that first quarter. Um, And Irene came on, but... I think one of the good things for Catherine was to see the difference in a, in a shooter that has a few more um, strings to her bow. Um, and I thought that Irene came on, she opens the court up, she comes out and helps the mid-court when she needs to, or she can stay in. So she's got both of those sorts of games, and she's had to work hard to develop that. So for both of those reasons, Catherine can see the need and can also see that it can be developed. Does it feel difficult, I suppose, because you, you've only got a few options, really, haven't you? I mean, obviously, you've got, got to look for the future with Irene at the age she is. Yeah. Um, but how difficult, frustrating is that? It's the challenge, you know, and it's, it's similar with, um, with Laura. We can't build a team for four years' time that revolves around those two people. We just can't guarantee they'll be there, so there has to be more depth. Um, and as I said, unpalatable though some of those results might be, I, I really believe it's the only way we, have, we can go at this time in the, in the um, four-year cycle. And you'll be hopefully looking back and seeing that as, as hard work well, well worth it. I hope so. <laughs> I certainly hope so. I was talking to Silver Ferns coach Wai Tamanu, and the quad series involving New Zealand, Australia, South Africa and England moves to Tauranga this weekend with the Silver Ferns playing South Africa and Australia playing England. The launch of the Italian America's Cup Challenges catamaran has shattered many of the Cup's traditions. Luna Ross's giant catamaran is almost identical to Team New Zealand's after a groundbreaking deal in which the pair shared design work and technology. Most of the Italian boat, the giant wing and platform structure but not the hulls, has been built by Auckland firms. It's part of a technology sharing rule allowed for the first time in this cup to help teams reduce the high costs of the building of the 72-foot catamarans. The cooperation is allowed to continue until the end of the year, and then the teams are on their own, heading for a cup with probably only three challenges. 
Our America's Cup reporter Todd Nile spoke to Team New Zealand's managing director Grant Dalton about why they decided to align themselves with the Italians and asked them how the partnership's working. There was a number of reasons for doing it, all of which, have, as it's turning out, have proved to be about right. And there's no particular order of these, but uh, we needed to try and get a, um, an ally in the voting um, stakes against the close relationship between Oracle and its challenge of record Artemis. And there's been a number of incidents in the last uh, several months where, where, I mean, we don't block things just for the sake of bloody-mindedly blocking things, but they would have got away with things if we hadn't had our friends at Prada who, who think like we do, able to kind of lock up the deck. That's one reason. Uh, the next reason is that we expected, or we hoped, no, we didn't expect, we hoped that they would, uh, with their design team, be able to develop concepts uh, that we had started and take them another step and they've definitely done that in a couple of areas and we now have that information. So they've already moved our own game in terms of this particular boat on and I expect that when we when they get sorted out, it'll take them a few weeks once they start sailing as it took us, that when we eventually start race training together they're going to go faster than us at this point. Number two. And, and number three, uh, they gave us the financial might to move our own game on in an incredibly uh, tricky environment financially and build a second boat, which is well in build now. Was the financial side for your team important? Well, it depends who you talk to. If you talk to the to the guys on the floor and the yachties and that, they just they don't get that bit, so they wouldn't factor that in. If you sit in my office trying to pay the salaries every month, it is important. But I, I you know, with the help of sort of strategic thinking of... Um, people that are involved with a team like Matar Donora, who's part Italian, they're thinking a lot bigger. They're businessmen, they think in a bigger scheme, and they thought about the the added benefits of one plus one adding up to three, of two big teams coming together. And and they're right, it has happened like that. And since the day I sat with uh, Patricia Batelli and we basically formulated the deal, it is only enhanced. I, I just cannot imagine any other team, any other people, that we could have had a relationship which would be so good with and I hope it will continue over the future and if one of us is successful in the cup that it will grow even bigger in the future. Is it risky at all for Team New Zealand in terms of who might win the cup? Well yeah it is because right now there's only two of us that probably got um, AC72s that can even sail. I mean if you assume theirs is basically the same as ours which it is and our one's sailing just fine and we haven't had any issues touch wood, then we're the only two that can sail, because Oracle's upside down, I think, I think they've got it up the right way now, and Artemis is broken in a tow test a few weeks from going sailing, so you've got to ask some questions about that. So, you know, right now, and, it, and you know, you've got to qualify that by saying it's a long way still, well, relatively long time still to the America's Cup, so it's going to change, but right now, Luna Rossa is a major opposition for us. But it doesn't feel like that. I mean, maybe we're just naive Kiwis and they're cunning Italians. But it feels way... It feels like... Maybe it feels a bit like um, two cars in a stable with Stone Brothers or, or you know, V8s racing where they share the same componentry but they compete on the track. That's kind of how, but they're still mates. That's how it feels. We don't have that sort of feel at all with either Artemis or Oracle. From the point that they launch, or I guess technically from the end of the year, are you then in a race with each other, uh, technically, in, in developing 
what started off as very similar boats. Yeah, that, that, that applies after the 31st of December uh, this year, where we are separated from a design point of view. But, but most of the dealing's done by that stage. Between, well, between when the deal was done and, and that date, we're sharing everything, and openly too. So I just, I, you know, I know that they've enhanced some thinking in, our, in a few areas for us, and they've helped us to step on. And we'll incorporate that thinking in our in our next boat, or some of it, or you know, hopefully a development of that thinking. It, honestly, it stepped us both on. It certainly stepped us on. Once they're sailing, will there be racing or or training between the two teams? Absolutely. And and in fact, um, Mr. Batelli yesterday uh, said that when we met, you know, we, I want these boats, I want you the teams to race together, and we'll do that. Uh, the way the the agreement is structured and. Yeah, you know, it's been under fire from Oracle and Artemis, who are sort of sitting there going, "God, we haven't got one of these." Uh, it will, the information that we can't share information at that point, but honestly, these things go such differential and spe- there's such big differentials in speed. You're not dealing with point one of a knot or whatever that that by the with the visually with the naked eye, a, a change on one of the boats I think will be quite evident. But certainly, we can't share anything at that point. From performance information, but we're absolutely open to share design information up until the date in the protocol when it's prohibited. But you don't lose sleep worrying about you've helped them get to this point and they may end up sort of taking advantage or, or doing better out of it? I, well, yeah, I do lose sleep about it because it could happen. I mean, it might not be because they're faster or sailing better. We could just break and they, you know, tortoise in the hair and off they go. And they're, and they're good yachties. So, yeah, I do. Uh, but I think that well, I hope that we'll be better. I know already. I know we're better because of it, because I know they've come up with some really clever stuff that we didn't think of. Um, I know we're going to be better as a result of this relationship in every area. I mean, just for the fact that we've able to stop some craziness on decisions of, that Artemis and Oracle could have rolled us on, non-commercial craziness, to help their own ends and hurt us, but we've been able to stop that. That alone makes the makes the. Um, collaboration between the teams worthwhile. You go back to 99, 2000, Prada, as they were then, was sort of the New Zealand's favourite challenger. Is, is there something special between the two teams? Is there, is there some kind of similarity that makes that relationship possible? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that sort of darling, the Italians being the darlings, and, and Francesco De Angelis as the skipper then was, you know, pin-up boy and all that sort of thing. That, that actually is the basis of the relationship, how it all started. Because there was a lot of teams here then. There wasn't any, it doesn't have to be just that team that the public felt that way about, but they did about Prada. And they're classy and they do things right. And, and, and Patricio Patelli's got a lot of flair and he's, you know, all those things, all that fashion stuff that they, that they embody as Italians as, and, uh, in their campaign and the way they look very classy, you know, very minimalistic in their signage. So it's so the whole relationship, if you like, even started way back then, and it's really just it's really just extrapolated itself from those days. I just hope nothing happens other than friendly competition, fierce competition, because you know, there's no they want to beat us, crikey, they're not our some puppet for us or or a uh, convenience for us. They are doing it, and he is determined to beat us. So, But I hope throughout that we can hold it all together in terms of the relationship. That's Grant Dalton talking to Todd Nile. And barring mishaps, Auckland will be the home for a while for the only two AC-72 catamarans able to sail, with Sweden's Artemis still sorting out problems. 
and the Defender Oracle facing a major rebuild after its boat recently overturned in San Francisco. The New Zealand triathlete Bevan Doherty bade farewell to the full-time ITU circuit at last weekend's grand final in Auckland. But rather than putting his feet up and heading off into retirement, the 35-year-old double Olympic medalist intends making a career in Ironman. Doherty's already had some good results in the endurance races with two wins in half Ironman events, including one in Panama where he beat the now-disgraced cyclist Lance Armstrong. He also finished third at the World Champs in Las Vegas just six weeks after the London Games. The 35-year-old will make his debut on the full Ironman course in his hometown of Topor at the New Zealand Champs in March, where he hopes to qualify for the Ironman World Champs at Hawaii's iconic Kona event. Richard Wayne spoke with Bevan Doherty about his decision to move into Ironman. To be honest, I'm actually really excited. You know, it's been an outstanding last 15 years for me, um, but um, as soon as I crossed the finish line in in London, I, I was excited about changing focus to long course. Even after the weekend, it was a, almost a great send-off. Uh, the crowd there was, was amazing, but uh, still like to think that I've got at least five more years in this sport, just a different format, and, and hopefully I can achieve some, some pretty big goals there as well. I'm sure you don't have any regrets and the things you've done, you know, world championship title, your, your two Olympic medals. I, I guess not claiming the Olympic gold is one thing missing from the resume, but it wasn't like you didn't try. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the main reason why I went to London. You know, I didn't want to have any regrets. Uh, what if I had gone with, you know, whether I would have got it or not, at least I gave it a good shot and now I can change focus. It would have been good to get the set of three, you know, gold, silver and bronze, but you know, sometimes life isn't a, a, a fairy tale, and, and you, you just have to uh, accept and, and be happy with what you've got. But uh, like I say, I'm, I'm excited about the future, and hopefully, I can continue to make New Zealand proud. The early indications are that you're going to be at least very competitive in the Ironman. Is it simply a case of as the speed inevitably you know wanes a little with age, the endurance stays there, and, and that's why you will be competitive? Yeah, partly that, uh, but a lot of the guys have always maintained over, over the years that I would be very good at that distance. Just uh, my style of training, how how I've prepared for races, a lot of the guys, uh, even guys like Craig Alexander, who I used to train with back in Boulder, Colorado, he, he's maintained that uh, I'd be very good uh, regardless. So uh, it, it just sort of it, it makes sense to head that way, and it was, it was the perfect opportunity to start focusing on long course, uh, half Ironman and Ironman. Just on that speed versus, well, everything else really issue, in triathlon, it looks like Gomez and the Brownleys have set a new benchmark, at least on the run and probably all around, with just the sheer pace that they're attacking it at. What has New Zealand got to do to compete with those boys now? It's it's a tough one. You know, you just almost need to find that X factor in someone. And uh, unfortunately... New Zealand being such a small nation, we're limited with the amount of athletes we have. So, you know, I have no doubts that we're, we're going to get some very strong competitive athletes coming through. And essentially, we just need to maximise the amount of potential athletes we have in our um, in our basket. And I'm sure one or two of them will, will eventually rise to the top. 
That said, you know, it, it's great that we're having events like the World Champs here and, and that we're going to have this World Cup for the next four years because it does inspire these up-and-coming uh, athletes and, and kids in general to maybe give our sport a shot and hopefully uh, that one day they can uh, represent the, the nation. Ryan Sisson's had a great run on the weekend and he's, he's showed some real form in, in that aspect of triathlon he says he's going to be working on a swim over the summer and that's obviously you know the work on for him do you think he can become the all-round triathlete that that you have been i i I have no doubts about that it was great to have him at um at the olympics with us he he gained a lot of experience and knowledge from that and and it's going to make him a better athlete uh so you know he he's got a lot of talent, and there's there's uh, it's not just Ryan Sissons. There's other guys in the program like Tony Dodds, who's had a bit of bad luck, and uh, it, it's going to take a few of those guys to um, get competitive amongst themselves and, and start striving for it. So uh, there, there's definitely a lot of talent. I'm sure a lot of those guys are happy that uh, myself and Chris are, are stepping aside, and they'll be able to claim a bit of the limelight. But our sport's in a good place, and we're excited. Just on where it's moving, you've got appointed a very high-powered gentleman in your new high-performance manager here in Triathlon New Zealand, Graham Moore. Do you think the sort of the new structure with somebody on top there taking a bit of the pressure off the national coach, Greg Frain, is, is going to really help? Yes, anything like that is going to help. Our CEO, Craig Moore, has done a great job of appointing some key players in our program. Uh, sometimes, you know, having some average results over the last few years is sometimes a good thing. If if everything's going well all the time, people get relaxed and complacent and it can backfire. So, you, you know, you, you've got to have ups and downs and certainly it has put things back in line and, and I think the guys we have in place are going to do a very good job. Can you tell me how much Ironman you've done? I know you competed in, in fact, one in Panama in the half Ironman. What, what else have you done? Uh, yeah, actually my first uh, half Ironman I did was 12 years ago and I won that. Then my second one was in Panama at the start of the year where I won that, beat Lance Armstrong. And my third half Ironman I did was six weeks after the Olympics, uh, world champs in Las Vegas and finished third there. So I actually have quite a good track record. It's very exciting to be able to prove to people that I um, am successful or am capable of uh, doing well in that distance. So, yeah, it's it's exciting ahead. I, I certainly realise that it's going to take some years and some time to adjust and learn how to race those races properly, but um, it's going to be an exciting road. Probably the key race for me this year was, was in Vegas to finish third there was, was great but to perform in conditions that it, it offered it was 40 plus degrees there and in a very demanding course so those are similar conditions to what I'm going to expect in, in Hawaii and, and to um, perform under those conditions is, is a huge boost for the confidence. That's Bevan Doherty triathlete turned Ironman talking to Richard Wayne. They're not top of the table, but the Wellington Phoenix are the only unbeaten side after the opening three rounds of the Australian A-League football competition. And this weekend they play the competition leaders Adelaide in Adelaide. The Phoenix are currently fourth on the ladder after a win and two draws. Not bad going for a side that's been without players away on international duty and then losing others to a virus which has swept through the camp. Skipper Andrew Durante missed the last match because of that virus and it had him spending a night in hospital but he's back this round, impressed by the way his team played without him and drawing one all with the defending champions, the Brisbane Roar.
The first 25 minutes, if we kept that intensity going, we, we could have really put them under the pump and, and really made a statement, but um, it wasn't to be, and I guess a one-all draw is not too bad. And back in Adelaide? Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, you know, everyone back on board, which is good, but uh, it's never easy for us at Highmarsh. Our track record's not very good there, but uh, look, it's going to be a, a tough game there. They're a good team. Um, they're very well organised. Uh, I'm not sure who they'll play up front. Obviously, GT and uh, Van Dyke haven't been used in the last game, so uh, we'll see what he throws at us. Do you think that the win last year, given when it came as well, will be a confidence boost? Yeah, look, I think this year we're, we're really confident and... Um, you know, I, f I feel we can beat anyone anywhere and probably in previous seasons we, we'd probably go there with a the mindset if we can get a point out of it, it'd be great. But I think this year we, we really have the mindset that we can beat them and um, no matter where we where we have to go. So I think that's a real positive that, that we've instilled into this squad this year. You mentioned that 20, first 25 minutes and the approach that you took underlines the, the way you need to play for this season? Yeah, definitely. I think that was the, the benchmark of how we need to approach all games. Not just at home, even even away from home, I think we can have that positive attitude and, and really put teams under pressure. It looks like everyone wants to really play out from the back and not everyone can do it all the time. And I think that's a great opportunity for for us as a team to, to try and get our goals and, and press them quite high. So uh, obviously we'll do some tactical work when we're in when Adelaide and, and see what Ricky has, but I'm sure we're not just going to sit back and, and let them come at us. Is that the approach that you've talked about in the past is to come away with a point if you can oh, how much of a debate is there in the to say right we want to play like that home and away yeah it's not really a, a debate or, or really discussed it's it's just kind of a mindset that we kind of feel like if we can get a point out of it it'd be great um, obviously we want to go there and win um, sometimes a game unfolds where you know you walk away and think yeah we'll take the draw but this year it's like three points and if we get a draw we'll probably be a little bit disappointed uh, that we'll get a draw. It depends on how the game pans out but um, our mindset's definitely, you know, let's get three points there. You know, we haven't had a start like this ever in the history of the club. Um, and look, it's early days but uh, all signs are very good. We've got so much depth in the squad. You saw uh, a couple of weeks ago how many players were missing. We picked up results. Uh, you know, I was missing on the weekend. We still got a good result. You know, players can come in of any level, um, young boys, senior boys, and, and do the job. And I think that's probably the healthiest we've ever been at this football club. That's the Wellington Phoenix captain, Andrew Durante. And that's the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us here at Radio New Zealand Sport, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.